0: Hello, and thank you for listening to the History of World War II podcast, Episode 324, The Second Battle of Bataan. Just before General Homa pulled back his men of the 14th Army in mid-February to await for supplies and reinforcements, he knew he was in trouble. After all, Guam, Wake Island, and Hong Kong had been captured. Singapore and the Dutch East Indies were currently being threatened. And all this was being done with just 10 divisions, that is, 200,000 men, of the Imperial Japanese forces. However, the men of the Philippines were still defiant. There, the locals and the soft Americans were holed up in the jungles of South Bataan, still offering resistance, though they had been on half-rations since early January. Many within Homus' camp kept saying, yes, But the Americans were not the Chinese, who those in Tokyo did not take seriously. But Homa would have liked to point out that though China had been invaded and attacked for the last couple of years, it had still not fallen either. Not that this would have helped Homa with his critics. Indeed, the General's deadline of 50 days, which had ended on January 26th, had come and gone. But the resistors were still there. Worse One of Homa's political enemies was Tojo himself, his country's prime minister and war minister. And as the American newspapers wrote of the empire's ever-growing list of conquests, which included the taking of Manila, they never failed to mention that the war in Bataan was not over. This irritated Tojo. Why? Because it got in the way of other reports that said his hohei, the typical Japanese infantryman, was a Superman. He was unstoppable. But that clashed with the reports coming from Bataan. There, his men were not seen as supermen. They were being held off, resisted. And during the early months of 1942, those same Hohe were being bled, getting sick, and dying. The reality of the situation was this. Homa, by the time he pulled back his men, had suffered some 24,000 casualties, 3,320 killed, 5,350 wounded, and just over 15,000 sick with malaria, beriberi, dysentery, and the like. No, he would have to radio home for reinforcements, a thing that no Japanese officer did lightly. It might kill his career, but he needed what he needed to win this campaign completely. As April 3rd, the date to renew the offensive, drew close, the Japanese had basically strapped 75mm guns onto various sized boats. Then they approached the Allied positions on the right side near the coastline. Further, their artillery in general became more active, and the defenders were hearing guns that were new to their ears. Clearly, bigger guns had been brought in from elsewhere. But the strongest indication that battle would soon be joined was an observation balloon floating over Abouké, just north of the defenders along the east coast. Those men in the balloon were surely taking detailed notes of the dispositions of the defenders. What they could not see was how those same men were wasting away day after day. But that could easily be guessed at. Then... It seemed as if Ares, the Greek god of war, decided to give the Allies a gift. During the night of March 24th, after a small firefight, some Filipino troops discovered important papers on an enemy body. These were taken to General Edward P. King's headquarters, the Luzon commander. The sheets, once they were translated, showed an order to carry out a reconnaissance of the Mount Samat area, as in the quickest routes to it, and which paths would be easier for tanks. This gathering of information was to be done by March 26th, for after that date, the Japanese would attack in the Mount Samat region. In any other instance, other than having troops weak with starvation, this would have indeed been a godsend, for a trap could have been set up for those coming to attack at Mount Samat, And yet, it seemed to make little difference to know where the attack was going to be carried out, if there was no way to make the men strong again with food. With the Japanese stepping up their air-slash-artillery attacks, by late March the men could hardly move from their trenches or foxholes. Then again, many could not even move if they wanted to, being so weak from malnutrition. On April 2nd, Homa, had his men in place, the 4th and 16th Divisions, the Nagano Detachment, and the 65th Brigade. All was ready. The commanding general would write on the eve of the attack, this second battle for Bataan, Artillery is plentiful. There is also enough special guns and supply arrangements have been completely prepared. There is no reason why this attack should not succeed. April 3rd, the day of Homer's attack, the day he would reclaim the respect of imperial headquarters, was also a religious and national holiday in Japan, the Philippines, and the United States. For the Christians, it was Good Friday, or Holy Friday of the Holy Week, when the Catholic Church commemorates Jesus' arrest, trial, crucifixion, death, and burial. The more devout would observe this day with prayers and fasting, well, everyone in Southern Bataan was fasting, but it had nothing to do with religion. Whereas for the Japanese, it was the anniversary of the death of the legendary Emperor Jimmu, the first ruler of Japan. Hence, the Japanese would be feasting, the Filipino and Americans fasting. There was no better metaphor for how prepared both sides were. Further, if the 14th Army did its job right, this conflict would, could be over by April 29th, Emperor Hirohito's birthday. What a wonderful gift. This podcast could not exist without the help of sponsors like Yahoo Finance. When it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. Now, you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses, Yahoo Finance. Right at your fingertips. I open up my Yahoo Finance, and within seconds, I can see how my stocks and investments are doing. And basically, investing is all about growth. And in order to grow, you need to know what's going on. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com. The number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's Yahoo Finance. As the sun rose on April 3rd, it promised to be another hot, humid day. Fortunately for the defenders, it was also a clear day, so the lookouts atop Mount Samat had no trouble seeing the enemy's artilleries lined up on their side, about two and a half miles behind the main line. But there was also a problem. The artillery observers counted 19 batteries of artillery and 9 mortar batteries. And to the east, there were more batteries of light artillery close in to support their infantry. But soon, everything was covered by dirt and smoke. Because at 9 a.m., all those guns, about 150 all told, began to go off. Suddenly, all those weeks of starvation meant nothing. The Filipino and American troops found the strength to get lower in their dugouts. Indeed, some started digging to actually get lower, further away from all those explosions. Conversations and movement stopped. There was nothing to do but wait it out, and hopefully still be alive when it stopped. An hour later, at 10 a.m., the guns were finally getting the range of their targets, that is, the men in the center of the 13 mile defensive line. And once they were able to zero in on their targets, they would only pause once for 30 minutes, that is, until 3 p.m., the jump off time for the attack. For the older American officers, when they were told of this incredible barrage, it harkened back to the days of the Great War. But here on Bataan, it was about to get worse. As the artillery was sounding off, the bombers of the 22nd Air Brigade came flying over to add to the destruction. By 3 p.m., General Mikami's Air Force would drop just over 60 tons of bombs on the defender's line. Meanwhile, smaller planes would dive low and strafe the men, but the pilots would also point out the anti-air fire from the ground to the bombers. Not that the anti-aircraft guns did much good, The bombers had been told to fly about a thousand yards beyond the range of the defenders' guns. The Filipino and American troops stayed down in their foxholes. There was little else to do. But what broke their heart was watching their fortifications, weeks, no, months of work being obliterated right before their eyes. Breastworks that were supposed to help keep them alive. As for the officers who would be directing this defense... They were affected, too, as telephone lines were cut. When three o'clock came, Homa's infantry and armor moved out. The attack plan was to focus on the section of the defensive line that was just right or east of the Pentagon River, which divided the First and Second Corps' area of responsibility, which meant that this part of the line, General Lowe's Sector D, received most of the artillery shells and bombs from the enemy that morning. Sadly for the defenders, this was also where Sector D was stretched thinnest and where the Japanese would make first contact. Lowe's men knew they had to resist the enemy, for Sector D just happened to have three well-developed north-south trails and two of these connected with the main east-west trail system behind them. Of course, the attackers knew this as well, which is why Sector D had been chosen. As things stood, the 65th Brigade would come in on Sector D's far left flank and use one of the trails to swing west of Mount Samat. This would allow the two columns of the main attack, the 61st Regiment, to use the path that was just west of Samat, and the 8th Regiment to use the path that was just east of the height. Either way, having been rested and well fed, the various attacking units were expected to make good speed surrounding Samat to use for their own purposes. Now, defending Sector D were two Philippine Army divisions. On the right or east flank was the 21st Division, led by Brigadier General Mateo Capinpin, and on the left or west flank was the 41st Division, led by General Lim. The good news, though the men were weak with hunger, was that both divisions had three infantry regiments, and they were all set up along the line. And yet, because both divisions had their three regiments up front, what was behind them, some 1,500 yards to the south, were their reserves, and not much to speak of. So if the main line broke, no one was really expecting the reserves to alter the course. Of the fight. As we have seen, Homa set up his attack such that these two starving Philippine divisions would have to take on the 65th Brigade of General Nara and the 4th Division with its two columns, and both had been heavily reinforced, which included tanks. But as General Homa needed this to work and quickly, he would be staggering his, hopefully, overwhelming piercing movement of Sector D. Yes, General Nara's 65th Reinforced Brigade would attack south along the dividing line between the 1st and 2nd Corps, as would General Taniguchi's 4th Division, which made up the right wing of the two columns and included the 61st Infantry, a battalion of the 8th Infantry Division, along with supporting and service units. But as for the left wing, made up of the 8th Infantry Unit, they were to wait two days, that is, April 5th, before they charged south. Homa's thinking was the weary Allied defenders would be even weaker by then. Thus, this still-fresh second attack would be able to easily drive south, then turn southeast to reach the closest point on the peninsula to Corregidor. If they could reach the southern tip, this would signal the death knell of the defenders of Bataan. As stated, the artillery attack started out that morning of April 3rd. Then at 3 p.m., the shells and the bombs started coming down further south from the line. This was to ensure the safety of Nara's 65th Brigade and Taniguchi's right column as they moved out. Now, focusing on the one reinforced battalion of Nara's, that was to travel on the west side of the Pentagon River, that is, in General Jones' first corps area of responsibility. As it was supported by heavy mortar fire, the first opponents they met, the second Philippine constabulary, was easily pushed aside. Now Naro's men on his right flank engaged and pinned down some of General Jones' men in that area, that is, Jones' far right flank, which meant that Even if Jones wanted to send men over to help General Parker's 2nd Corps far left flank, he would be unable to, which is exactly what Homa wanted. As for Nara's main attack against Parker's 2nd Corps line, it was supported by tanks instead of artillery. That way, they could stay in close and help the men as they moved south. So the bulk of Nara's men clashed with the men of the 41st Philippine Division and the plan was to stop there for the day, after getting such a late start, and keep the 41st tied down while wearing them down. But there was just one problem. The men of the 41st weren't there. Looking around, Nara's men were expecting a trap. But there wasn't one. There were no enemy forces. This was reported back to Nara, who was wary. Still, he ordered his men forward down Trail 29. When the sun went down, the invaders were 1,000 yards further than they expected to be. So far, so good. To the left, or east of Nara, Taniguchi's column that headed out that same afternoon was being backed by the 7th Tank Regiment, and together they crossed the river in front of them and moved out. They were now in the territory where the enemy's 43rd and 21st Infantry Divisions met the center of Sector D. Here, Tanaguchi was leading the attack himself and came upon the remains of two 37mm anti-tank guns. Clearly, they had been decimated by the bombardment earlier that day. Tanaguchi shivered for a second in thinking about what would have happened to him and his if they had come upon these guns being operational. As it was, he smiled and moved on. Finally, at the enemy's main line of defense, the firefight there did not last very long before the Filipino troops in front of him ran away. Semi-shocked but happy, Taniguchi also went along another 1,000 yards down Trail 6 by sundown. So far, the main attack had fared better than anyone expected. General Homa and his officers would not know this for sure until prisoners were later questioned, but as the majority of bombs and shells had fallen on the already starving men of the 41st Division, their will to fight had evaporated. So what did more damage, the starvation or the pre-attack bombardment? Does it really matter? By sundown, the men of that part of Sector D, the 41st Division, were huddled to the south, of where they were supposed to be. They were now on the western slopes of Mount Samat. As in, they had ran for their lives, hoping this area, further behind the line, would see them safe. Ironically, the men of the 51st Infantry Regiment, who were also close by on the 2nd Course at far left, which had escaped much of the bombing and artillery, were doing better. However, miscommunications had them falling back as well. Of course, when they saw the demoralized looks of the survivors of the 41st Division, these men had guessed they had missed most of the hell that day. That afternoon, as the defenders were either running to Mount Samat or had been ordered to fall back, again from confused orders, word of all this, the disintegration of the left half of Sector D reached General Parker, the 2nd Corps commander. Having no other option He used his only reserve, the 33rd Infantry Division, Philippine Army, to give to General Lowe of Sector D. The unit moved out under the command of Major Stanley Holmes that evening. Holmes was told that there was little chance of reforming their part of the main defensive line, so he should put his men more south and act as a stopgap measure. However, during that same evening, General Lowe wasn't giving up quite yet. The 42nd Regiment might have been completely lost, in terms of lives and organization, but there was still a chance. Lowe ordered that the 43rd Regiment be found, get put back together, and put it with the 41st and 33rd Regiments, who had retreated and were now on the west side of Samat, to form a line there. That way, they wouldn't be much further south than the original defensive line. The idea, if all worked out, was to surprise the enemy the next morning with this new line. Countering this, General Homa reevaluated his attack plan. It was a rather cautious one, but he was focused on results, not making heroes of his officers while they died. However, considering the unexpected success of the afternoon, he told his officers, When the sun comes up, go for Mount Samat and to make General Nara and Tanaguchi feel better about abandoning the overall plan, he would hit the height with intense artillery and bombing attacks, much like what had happened to Sector D. Hopefully, the results would be the same. Meeting the aggressive nature of their commander, Nara and Tanaguchi were happy with the change in plan. Nara would take his brigade and continue along the Pentagon Valley, straddling both sides of the river. This should keep them clear of any serious resistance until they were well past the main defensive line. Meanwhile, the 4th Division's right wing would continue down the Katmon River, but send its 7th Tank Regiment east along the Pilar-Bagak Road. This was to 1 act as a diversion, and two, get them closer to the eastern section of Sector D, should an opportunity present itself to dash down there and cut off thousands of retreating enemy troops. Also, the left column, which had yet to see fighting, would engage the still intact right or east side of Sector D, currently being held by the 22nd and 23rd Infantry Regiments Philippine Army. They would attack at the same time as the already engaged right column, hence none of the defenders in the area would be able to support each other. April 4th would be a day of destiny for Sector D, as well as for the entire defensive position of General Edward King, the Luzon commander. Should the 3 reestablished regiments hold the line south of the main defensive line, this may just work. Yes, food was running out, but the defenders, per orders from Washington, did not have to win outright, only hold out as long as possible, to tie down these particular enemy units. As for those three regiments, on whom all the defenders' fate would hang, when Colonel Fortier went out to look for them, he found a few of the devastated 42nd Regiment, the mostly intact but shaken 43rd Regiment, and the 51st Regiment that had retreated, based on a confused report. Fortier had put as much hot coffee in them as he had, and he ordered those able to form up and head north. The 51st Regiment said, yes, sir, and started walking. As for the 42nd and 43rd, only a few hundred men were able and willing to follow the 51st. It was the best that Fortier could do. Fortunately, when the men got to the line, the 41st Engineer Battalion was already there, working frantically to build anti-tank obstacles. By 9.30 a.m. of April 4th, this new line was as good as it was going to get. As planned, when the sun came up on April 4th, Homa had the 22nd Air Brigade drop bombs in the supposed path of their infantry comrades. But, as fate would... Having at times a cruel sense of humor, the bombs missed the 33rd Infantry Regiment and landed among the men of the 42nd and 43rd Regiments. As these luckless men were about one mile behind the 33rd Regiment, this was rather quite a mix-up, but it would pay huge dividends for the attackers. For the sheer hell the men of the 42nd and 43rd Regiments had been through, This was the final straw. Even before the Japanese moved out that morning, most of these men fell back, having had enough of explosions, putting out fires caused by the bombs, starvation, and living each moment a whisk away from death. Colonel Fortier did everything he could short of shooting these men as they ran, but to no avail. Also that morning, General Nara and his 65th Brigade came south along the Pentagon River, on both sides at the same time. They were met by the 41st Infantry Regiment, who had already withstood strafing from Japanese fighters, but held their line. However, because the 42nd and 43rd Regiments to the right of the 41st Regiment had retreated, Nara sent more men to hit the 41st right flank. Seeing this, the 41st pulled back some 500 yards and set up another line, they would not be giving up so easily. This second line actually held until 5 p.m. that day, a rather remarkable feat. But then Nara, seeing that the right flank was still unprotected, threatened it again. This time, the 41st pulled back 1,000 yards. This gave them enough time to bend their line into a half circle, where if Nara came at them again, their flanks were protected by their own men, who would be on either side of the bent lines. Of course, having backed up so much, Nara and his now had control of Trail 29, which was their objective in the first place. Going back to the 4th Division's attack on April 4th, which was hitting the center and right parts of Sector D, their efforts were just as successful. Of course, when they moved out at 8.30 a.m., that was after an intense aerial bombardment and the attack was being carried out by the 7th Tank Regiment. The now already mauled 21st and 23rd Philippine Regiments did what they could, but between the bombing, the shelling, and then having the tanks run right at them, it was their turn to retreat. Even before the morning was over, General Tanaguchi controlled the area that had been this part of the main defensive line. This left General Lowe with only one-third of his Sector D line under his control. And yet, the left wing of the 4th Division, of Colonel Oriata's unit that had been held back until now, rushed in, and they slammed into the 22nd and 23rd regiments, who had, no surprise, been hit by bombs and artillery earlier that morning. The defenders pulled back about one mile, and the invading column occupied all the territory that had been abandoned. Sector D no longer existed. As the sun set, some of Homa's units were on the northern base of Mount Samat. Strangely, this left the 33rd Philippine Infantry Regiment now alone on the west side. the height. They didn't know where any of their comrades were, nor the enemy, and the Japanese didn't know this one lone regiment was still in the area. Somehow, the two sides failed to make contact. With April 4th coming to a close, the Philippine units of Sector D were shattered and pushed back to their reserve line, close to Mount Samat. Also in the area just north of the reserve line. Were the Japanese, who were amazed how far they had gotten in this one day? No matter that they were ahead of schedule, on the morrow, April 5th, they would scale the heights of Mount Samat. With the two columns of the 4th Division having blasted their way through the main defensive line, Homa wanted them to reorganize and be ready to attack the eastern side of the height tomorrow. With Nara's 65th Brigade swinging west of Samat, soon all the enemy troops around the mountain would be cut off. Adding additional pressure, Homa would also have the 16th Division and the Nagano detachment strike along the east coast road, their goals being LeMay and Orion. Specifically, Homa was hoping to catch the defenders off guard by switching his main thrust to the east slopes of Samat rather than the west, which had been the main focus for the last few days. Hence, General Tanaguchi was ordered to gather tanks, one battalion of the 65th Infantry, and join the Japanese left column. Now oversized, it would lead the way when the sun rose April 5th, Easter Sunday. That early morning, as the Christian observers of the defenders were attending dawn services, the Japanese artillery and bombing runs started up again. After a few hours of this, at 10 a.m., the two columns of the 4th Division headed out. Again, the oversized left column was leading the attack, with the right column acting in support. When they were both brought up short by the Filipino 21st Division, backed up by several artillery units in the area. Tanaguchi's planned trip of going down Trail 4 came to a stop. However, the right column under Colonel Sato had not been stopped, so it continued to move on. As he and his were unopposed, they reached the northwest slopes of Samat and started going up. Only one platoon of the 21st Infantry was in their way, and this was quickly dispatched just before 1 p.m. Now controlling their own part of the height, the artillery that had been holding back General Taniguchi's men was exposed to Colonel Sato's fire. The artillery units, mostly Americans, destroyed their guns and retreated to the southeast. Now that Taniguchi's men were free, they resumed their advance at 2 p.m. Yet the troops of the 21st Division, though no longer supported by artillery, would not yield. Hence, Tanaguchi sent some men up the northeast slopes of Samat, which allowed them to come down behind the 21st Division. Those men, like the artillery that had been supporting them, were forced to retreat. With the two columns more or less running free, by that evening, the territory in front of Mount Samat and the height itself belonged to the attackers. That night, the two columns of Tanaguchi were rejoined, just below Mount Samat, at the previous headquarters of the Philippine 21st Division. As things stood before the sun rose on April 6th, the shattering of Sector D allowed the Japanese to take all the territory in front of the height and to either side of it. The left half of the line of First Corps had been nailed down, as had the far right line of the Second Corps, and on the morrow, Homa would try again, for the third time, to swing his hammer south and to the east. The enemy command would either capitulate or be pushed into Manila Bay. The results, at least for General Homa, would be the same. Greetings everyone from Central Virginia. Happy Memorial Day. I am uh, doing this at night trying to get it out before I go to bed. Anyways, it's been a while so I just wanted to thank some new members and thank those who have donated to keep things going here. It is obviously much appreciated. So my latest members, again, they're paying five bucks a month and they get two extra episodes, kind of behind the scenes stuff, um, so the smaller stories of World War Two. Uh, you have Paul Washington, uh, Paul S from Washington Township, New Jersey, Jonathan L from Mount Lake Terrace, Washington, Jack Walter from Whitby, New Zealand. Tex Wilkins from Columbia, Maryland. That's eh, close enough. I'll call you a neighbor. Thank you, Tex. Uh, Shannon K from El Dorado Hills, California. That's a cool name. Richard McNeil from West Lebanon. Uh, is that New Hampshire, I believe? Uh, Ashley H. from Napa, California. Thank you, Ashley. John McLone from Townsend, Maryland. Again, neighbor. Uh, Jim Herrings from Swanville, Maine. Thomas Sparrow. Thank you very much Thomas and Judy Graves from Lincolnville, Maine. Those are the latest members. You've got a lot of shows waiting for you, so uh, enjoy those. And as far as those who have donated, uh, there's Chris uh, Smithwick, Michael Vernon, Jeffrey Gunter. Uh, thank you very much, Jeffrey, for the message included in your uh, in your donation. That was very nice It really made my day. Uh, Rodney, Ankeny, I hope I said that right, Rodney, and Jerome Manning. So thank you very much. And um, obviously we will finish up the war very soon, uh, cover the parts of the uh, Baton Death March just to give you an idea, and then move on from there. So, uh, so again, thank you very much for listening. Uh, please don't hesitate to uh, give me a review on iTunes, maybe tell your friends about it, and let's just see if we can keep this going. And uh, as always, take care, everyone.